Welcome to Radioactive. I'm executive producer and host, Lara Jones. Volunteer host Nick Burns and I will be back next week with a fresh show featuring grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. But tonight, can we save the Great Salt Lake? A special rebroadcast of a Great Salt Lake collaborative town hall recorded earlier this month at the Day Riverside branch of the City Library. KRCL is one of nearly two dozen partners in news, education, and media, helping to keep you informed about the plight of the Great Salt Lake and what can be done to make a difference before it's too late. Read all of our stories at greatsaltlakenews.org. Here we go. All right. Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to the second of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative's uh, series of panel discussions. Uh, my name is Ben Winslow. I'm a political reporter for Fox 13 News. Uh, my station is one of 23 different news and educational institutions that are partnering together as part of the Great Salt Lake Collaborative to cover issues facing the Great Salt Lake as well as exploring potential solutions to save it. Um, this is a unique venture for us in the news media. We're used to competing with each other a lot. Um, and on this particular subject, we're actually working together. Uh, for example, I recently went on a trip to Las Vegas with Utah Public Radio in Logan and the Salt Lake Tribune to look at water conservation measures there, and that's reporting that you'll be seeing rolled out in and published and broadcast in the next uh, little bit here. Um, the Great Salt Lake Collaborative was formed thanks to a grant from the Solutions Journalism Network, and the goal of Solutions Journalism is to not just talk about issues, but explore potential solutions that may be able to help. Uh, beyond the newsrooms, you have community organizations like the Salt Lake City Public Library, who has uh, graciously donated space here tonight, um, where we can host uh, community events like this. And tonight, we are addressing a critical question that is, of course, on everyone's mind, which is, can the Great Salt Lake be saved? Um, I was recently out at the Salt, Great Salt Lake Marina doing a story, and I got to tell you, it's not looking good. It's, mm -hmm. it's looking really bad. It has no water in it. The marina uh, has, they pulled the boats out. Uh, the measurement gauge by the U.S. Geological Survey, which has been used there for over a hundred years, no, no longer works. The lake levels are that low. They're talking about emergency channels so that search and rescue can just get out into the lake if something happens. Um, tonight we are joined by three leading voices on the lake. Um, I'll ask each to raise your hands. Linda Freitas is the executive director of Friends of Great Salt Lake. She has been a champion of the lake for many, many years and policies to protect it. Uh, Lynn joined the board shortly after Friends of Great Salt Lake was founded back in 1994, and she's now their executive director. She's received a number of awards for her environmental work and helped to draft language of House Concurrent Resolution 10 that started to call attention to policies to protect the lake and served on Governor Gary Herbert's water strategy advisory team. House Speaker Brad Wilson represents the Fighting 15th District in Kaysville, a home builder by profession. He has served as Speaker of the House since 2019, pushing policies on tax cuts and modernizing education. He's also pushed bills for water conservation and saving the Great Salt Lake, including a record $40 million funding allocation this year with the goal of getting water into the lake. And I've said it before on TV, and I will say it again here for all of you. The Great Salt Lake is literally his biggest constituent, 
at least when it comes in terms of geographic size. Um, Dr. Sarah Null is an associate professor at Utah State University's Watershed Sciences Department. She specializes in environmental water management, climate adaptation, water quality, and aquatic habitat. Among her research examinations, monitoring and modeling managed environmental water for maximum environmental benefit, predicting climate change effects on hydrology, water quality, and aquatic habitat to anticipate change and identify promising adaptation strategies. So welcome to all of you after all of that introduction. So let's get right to the question at hand. Is it too late to save the Great Salt Lake? As I mentioned, it is not looking good right now. And uh, Speaker Wilson, I'd like to start with you. Is it too late? Well, thanks, Ben. Um, and thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, I've never been in this facility, and uh, it's good to see people are interested and engaged in the issues of the day. Um, I, uh, I absolutely think that uh, not only can we, but we must save the Great Salt Lake. And that's, uh, I think we all share that opinion mm -hmm. up here. Um, and it's, it's actually not necessarily because the Great Salt Lake is in my district uh, that I care about the Great Salt Lake. Um, that's just a fortunate coincidence. Um, but I did grow up in Utah. I did grow up spending time in, on, and around the lake. Um, and it's a big part of not just who we are from an environmental standpoint, but it's just who we are. I mean, our, our capital city is named after the lake. And uh, it plays important roles in everything we do from our economy, uh, more importantly to our lifestyle and our environment. And we all know the reasons why it matters. Um, uh, I, I will say, um, just to be really frank, this is all gonna stay in the room, right? Um, <laughs> except that, for the internet. Except for the, yeah, except for the media and the internet and all that. But uh, in, in some ways, uh, I feel like I'm a little late to the party. I mean, Lynn's been at this party since uh, I, graduate, I graduated from college that year. Uh, you, you joined the Friends of the Great Salt Lake. And, uh, and I think that to some extent, policymakers, um, have had their attention on other things uh, for the last 20 years, um, and, and important things. Uh, and uh, But the Great Salt Lake is not something that until recently has, has uh, had the attention that it's probably needed. And I remember vividly a little about a year and a half or so ago when I was thinking about the big issues, and I, I literally every day tonight, well, it won't be light when I drive home, but every day when I drive home to West Kaysville, as I come uh, and come off the freeway and head west, I see Antelope Island and I see the lake. And it had not been lost on me that it was getting harder and harder to see. And uh, I was listening uh, to a public radio podcast uh, about a year and a half ago uh, about Owens Lake. And uh, many of you know about Owens Lake. We can talk about it if you want, but we're here to talk about the Great Salt Lake. And I thought, wow. I mean, that is not, not just scary, it's terrifying. Um, and we've got to do something about this. And I called my chief of staff and I said, we need to lean heavy and hard into the Great Salt Lake. And so we've done that uh, over the last year and a half. And it's been remarkable uh, to see what's happened and, and what we've quite frankly been able to do uh, in a very short period of time uh, once we got people's attention focused on it. And, uh, but what's even more remarkable to me is, and I'm, I'm not filibustering, Ben, I promise. Uh, but <laughs> what's been more remarkable to me has been uh, what the public 
has been able to accomplish over the last year. And uh, we've actually seen, and it's just, it's one of the, <laughs> it's why I'm so optimistic about the Great Salt Lake, even though right now it's not in a good spot, is Utahns have done what they do remarkably well. Um, and they've risen to the occasion. They've conserved water in ways that's, that's just remarkable uh, this year. And, uh, and because of that, uh, we're sending 30,000 acre feet that wasn't planned down to the Great Salt Lake this year, and hopefully that's just the beginning. So, um, and that's kind of a drop in the bucket, <laughs> but it's more than a drop. It's a couple drops in the bucket, but it's a move in the right direction. So, uh, Lynn, can the lake be saved, or have we passed a point of no return? The um, am I on? Yeah. Okay. Um, the lake can be saved. Um, it is our stewardship responsibility on behalf of this hemispherically significant ecosystem that not only do we rely on Great Salt Lake for the values that it provides for us, um, mineral extraction, uh, brine shrimp harvesting and aquaculture, uh, recreation and tourism, certainly um, the important habitat for millions of migratory birds, um, but hemispherically, it is a, a key uh, stopping, staging, resting, nesting place for over 10 million migratory birds. 338 different species of birds rely on the lake. And, and the lake is really a foundational reference point of who we are, how we are, and our history and culture and the science um, that we reap the benefit from this system. So we, as the, the stewards, and having um, the responsibility to work on behalf of this public trust resource that belongs to all of us, that the state of Utah, in the Utah Constitution, is mandated to manage uh, responsibly and sustainably for the people of Utah as a public trust resource. So um, we're all in this together, and a part of it um, that we need to own up to is our participation, but also become better educated about the issues so we can reach out and, and share Great Salt Lake awareness with our neighbors and with our cohort and with our, our colleagues um, because it will take all of us. And, um, you know, I, I love the company of um, being a fast friend with Speaker Wilson <laughs> and, you know, the, the amazing scientific insights that we learn from people like Sarah Null and her cohort. So it's a very rich opportunity, um, but it will take time and it will take commitment. But I believe we can, we can save the lake. Dr. Null, from your perspective, can the lake be saved? Yes, the lake can be saved. And that's great news for Utah. It's great news for Utahns. Um, I will caution that I think it'll take a while. It's not gonna happen overnight. It didn't drop overnight and it's we're not going to get back to a healthy range in one year but we can do it the legislature has been changing some water code to make to pave the way to make it possible so water that goes to great salt lake is a is a beneficial use of water 
um, where we have more market solutions where we could trade water to reallocate water. So we have a lot of tools to use now and we need to use them. And, when, and in saving the Great Salt Lake, I, th I mean, I really think we have to. Our, our human health, you know, depends on it. We're, we're what, four million Utahns live along the Wasatch Front. And so we don't want to have dust storms and, and live in the shadow of dust storms. We want to keep Utah a great place with tourism, with people who want to come here. And that means making some, some real changes. Changes are hard, but we can do them. When I, I've been at Utah State University for, this is my 12th year, and when I flew in, when my plane was, was landing on my interview coming here, I knew I wanted to study Great Salt Lake. It's one of those things I thought, if I get this job, I'm gonna start working on Great Salt Lake. And it wasn't, it, it had been declining a little bit, but in 2011, it, it wasn't so low as it, na as it is now. And so in the time that I've been here, it's become essential that we have to care about Great Salt Lake, we have to make changes. Those changes will be hard. Um, thinking about decadal changes, that's where I really think of policymakers, and that's real, it's hard. There's not, you know, like do this one thing and we'll get there, but we can do it. And I'm, I'm pleased to see so many people in this room who came out because you care about Great Salt Lake. So let me ask then, because um, the lake is not filling up and you know uh, what what specifically should we be doing and I, I'd like to start with you Dr. Null what what should we be doing well the most important thing is we need to start bringing water to Great Salt Lake and so there are a number of ways to do that and I think that none should be taken off the table I think we should be looking at all of these approaches so some really promising ones are water conservation Utahns use a lot of water this, the only, we're the second highest water use per person in the United States, even though we're the second driest state in the nation. But what that tells me is that there's a lot of opportunities for conservation. And when I say this, I mean urban, I mean industrial, I mean agriculture. All of us should be trying to conserve water. That's, you know, that's why Great Salt Lake is so low, is because we take water from streams, we divert it away, and it's consumptively used by the environment, by people, and so we know we need to start bringing water back. I mentioned water banking. That's a really nice way to reallocate some water. Um, you know, if nothing else, we should look at, at maintaining, at ba basically, you know, saying some of this water has to, has to go to Great Salt Lake, more of a regulatory approach. And again, because I think the health and safety of Utahns is the most important use for water. Uh, Speaker Wilson, what specifically do you think needs to be done? Thanks, Ben. Well, the first thing we need to do, I mean, there's a lot of things, right? But um, this last year, uh, the legislature, the state, invested close to half a billion dollars in water. Um, all of that, quite frankly, was because of the Great Salt Lake. And, um, and so... First, the first important thing we need to do is execute on the efforts we've already put in place. And just at a super high level, that money is broken down into secondary water metering, the water trust you talked about, agriculture optimization, which let me just pause on that. Uh, what that means is we all hear, and it's true, that agriculture is the largest user of water in the state. Um, and agriculture owns that water. The way water is uh, structured in the state of Utah is people that own the water have water rights to it. Uh, but 
the agricultural community um, has this opportunity, and Dr. Null talked about it, to help us with conservation. And so one of the um, efforts we invested about $75 million in last year is a grant program for agriculture to take and use new technology that reduces their consumption by around 30%. And that's big water. Uh, if everyone in agriculture optimizes their use, we save a lot of water that could go to the lake. Um, the challenge is, um, well, the good news first. The good news is agriculture has been remarkable. For every dollar the state put in of that 75 million, uh, agriculture put in about $4 for every dollar we put in. And so they're making a big commitment themselves in helping us conserve water. But we've probably, with that 75 million, and don't hold me to this, we've maybe touched 5% of agriculture in the state. So you can see the magnitude of how much money we will need to invest as a state to optimize our agricultural use uh, over the next decade. And, and not everyone in agriculture can do it right away. But, but kind of building off of this theme of we need to continue doing more of what we've done um, up there, uh, where I spend way too much time, uh, this coming session, we need a massive investment in agricultural optimization uh, so we can continue to make progress in that regard. And when you think about the Pareto principle, um, the biggest user of water, making a big investment to help them reduce water, that's where one of those opportunities um, uh, is. And, um, and then just you know, continuing to do conservation efforts like, uh, like Dr. Knowles talked about, that's where the big opportunities are right now. Lynn? Thoughts? What needs to be done? So we have a growing population um, that is projected to double by 2060 to about 5 million people. Uh, will be the size of Philadelphia along the shores of Great Salt Lake. Most of the growth will ha happen in the northern part of the state. Um, with that, um, there needs to be um, an education of um, our citizens to know that, for instance, 60% of water use is out of doors, on lawns, on grass. Um, and there are practical and obvious ways where we can reduce that water use. Um, certainly, you know, the way we um, have innovative um, systems in our homes to, you know, be more practical and, and uh, conservation-minded in, in the water that is a part of our daily use. Um, but I think each of us needs to be mindful of what we can do to reduce our water use. Um, it, it just seems like, you know, when Speaker Wilson was talking about agriculture, and admittedly, I have two horses. So um, they like alfalfa. But I do advocate um, to everyone that agriculture is a part of the solution and is a partner that can demonstrate to um, perhaps some, some entities that are a little more timid about stepping up and committing that agriculture can really be a part of um, changing the paradigm. Because, I mean, first in, right, first in time, first in right. Um, they were here early on during the, the early settlement of Utah. And the Utah water law basically acknowledges the fact that because they were here first in time,
the rights of the water that they had access to for ranching and uh, farming were um, a part of, you know, uh, continuing um, with that commitment that they made on the landscape. But, you know, again, revisions have been made through legislative tools that have helped the state engineer um, recognize um, opportunities for acknowledging uh, water coming to the lake as a beneficial use, which historically, this is phenomenal because um, water going to Great Salt Lake has never been considered um, useful. It's always been characterized as being wasteful. Great Salt Lake has been thought of um, for so long as a dead sea. You know, stinky, buggy, salty, dead sea. But we know differently now. And so um, a part of that is, okay, how can we, under the shrink wrap, shrink wrap of climate change and a mega drought and a growing population and the second driest state in the nation, how can we actively um, demonstrate you know, productive, durable water behavior uh, to include Great Salt Lake in that conversation? Lynn, you touched on this, and I, I kind of want to expand on that. Um, how how can we are one of the fastest growing states, if not the fastest growing state in the nation? So how can you uh, balance the demands of everybody? People need water. You know, we've got a lot of businesses. We've got a lot of things that we we have a lot of needs for water. How can you balance the demands of everybody, but ensure that the Great Salt Lake continues to get water? Um, I kind of want to throw this out there. I'd like to start with you, Speaker. How do how do you balance all of this? I was going to throw it to you, too. <laughs> I thought you were asking Lynn. I was excited to hear her answer. So, well, it, it, it's not easy, right? And that's one of the things we're struggling with right now. I mean, Lynn talks about the growth in terms of doubling in size. Well, there's a little bit of an asterisk tied to that, and that is if we have the water. Uh, and we may not have the water to do that. And, you know, I feel part of my job is to make sure we do because... Uh, that's an important part. I mean, I want my kids to live nearby and my grandkids to live nearby, and maybe I'm part of the problem, but I love this state and I, <laughs> I want my family to be here. So we, we're going to have to pull all these levers that we've talked about so that we have additional water, or we're not additional water, we're use our, using our water differently so that people can still live here. And, and really, I mean, I don't want to be too repetitive, but there's no silver bullet out there. There's nothing that like we can do magically that's going to solve this problem. It's these fundamental things that we've already talked about. Conservation uh, primarily um, and really just rethinking the way we use water. I mean it's crazy and, and we haven't, you both talked about it, but it is crazy uh, up until recently if you are in agriculture and you had water rights, I literally had this conversation with someone a year ago um, and he, if he didn't, prior to us changing the law, if he didn't water his field that he wasn't growing anything on, uh, he would lose his water. So that water was just, you know, being put on a, a, a dry field, um, and uh, and a lot of it was just going into the atmosphere. So we fixed that, um, but we we've got to. And I, I've said this. I don't know if I said it with Lynn around, but. The Great Salt Lake, up until recently, at Thanksgiving dinner, was at the little kids' table, and we need to put it at the big kids' table. 
And when we do that, uh, it starts to have a seat at the table where it matters and we're paying attention to it. And, uh, and as long as we're doing that and tending to its needs, we will be able to grow. But we can't, we can't grow if we're not taking care of our basic needs in the lake. So. Lynn, I was going to say. I would just add, add that um, the cost of water, I think, I, I don't know that people actually acknowledge <clears throat> how much water is valued. And um, it's kind of hidden in our property taxes. And I think that um, with all due respects to the range of population needs, we need to think about um, recognizing the cost of water and, and make it um, a conscious recognition that can help change behavior as far as using less um, and, and you know, having incentives to do that. So, you know, carrot and sticks, but, um, you know, carrots are good and sticks are, you know, if necessary. Dr. Knoll, how do you balance those needs? You know, I like to have water when I turn on my faucet, yeah. people are moving here, but how do you also save the lake at the same time? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not easy solutions, again, that comes back to, to some growing pains and us, and us having to get there. Um, I certainly think understanding the value of water helps because it helps us to be able to reallocate water when that makes sense so that farmers might say, you know, I'm going to have two cuttings of alfalfa this year and, and sell, you know, the water that I used to grow a third cutting with. And that makes sense to me. I can stay whole economically. Um, sometimes cities might purchase that water. Sometimes the state might purchase that water to bring it down to Great Salt Lake. And so that kind of flexibility is really, really important. And one more point that I should mention that, that I think we should have when we were talking about conservation. Is conservation is so important. All of, these, all of these tools or knobs that we can turn are important. But we also need to make sure that the water that we conserve makes it down to Great Salt Lake. And right now, that's not very clear. And we do have a, a seniority-based system. And so people can conserve water, and the next, senior, or the next junior water right holder can, can take it. And so we need to to be able so when people, cities, farmers, anyone conserves water that they can earmark it. And that's probably gonna be a role where the state can help. More measurements, more monitoring, that can also help. So we can know, we can track how much water is in rivers and be confident that if somebody conserves water and has say one less cutting of alfalfa, that they know that water is actually gonna get to Great Salt Lake. I just want to jump in if I can and build on this, and maybe it's too repetitive, but last month uh, I traveled with Governor Cox to Israel, and um, it was on a trade mission, but I went specifically um, to learn about water, and so spent a lot of time meeting with different organizations, learning about how they have dealt with their water crisis um, in a state very, or in a country very similar to ours. And um, what's fascinating to me is this little country of Israel has probably figured water out better than almost anywhere on the planet. And one of the things that they can do that we can't, and most places in America can't, is they can account for every drop of water in Israel. And um, given the 
characteristics of where we're at, including the second driest state in the country and in a drought and having these challenges with the lake. I think until we get to that point where we know exactly where every drop of water is and where it's going, um, we're kind of fighting this battle with one arm tied behind our back. And we are uh, investing and making some efforts right now into, into understanding that because with that information, we'll be armed with a lot of tools that we probably don't even know we have right now. So is that suggesting so. like a bill is coming or something? <laughs> well, we kind of passed a bill already to do that. Representative Miles passed a bill last year that kind of leads us down that direction. But I think for sure, Ben, you will see more legislative action over the coming years to help us understand exactly where our water is, where it's going, how it's being used. And that's why we invested a quarter billion dollars into secondary water metering. And, um, uh, and just that, and what's interesting too is when you give people that information, I, I think the pricing of water is probably something that will be dealt with at some point. We just don't have the tools right now even to do it, quite frankly, in many cases. But when you, uh, with secondary water in particular, when you show people how much they're using, uh, when you meter it, they reduce consumption by 20 to 30% um, just because they're more aware of it. And, and uh, so I was going to tell you a story about me, but I learned uh, I'm, I'm measuring some water at my cabin, which actually does feed into the bear. Um, that area does. And I had a leak in my system that I didn't know about. And I'm not going to tell you how much water uh, I was wasting and was going down the mountain in the wrong way. But it was a lot of water. And we fixed it. And, and I, you know, I, I just had no idea. So I think there's a lot of people, a lot of people on the Wasatch Front that are using water in ways that they don't even know. You're listening to KRCL's Radioactive and a special rebroadcast of Can We Save the Great Salt Lake? A Great Salt Lake collaborative town hall recorded October 19th at the Day Riverside branch of the City Library. Uh, speaking of the Bear River, I do want to ask about the Bear River Pipeline project um, and specifically should it even be on paper? Um, Right now, nothing's really happened with it. And so I, I think I want to start with uh, Lynn. Does it mean anything if it's not really going anywhere? So um, the Bear River Development Act of 1991, I yep. believe, um, has been basically a, a mandate uh, for the state of Utah to explore. Um, essentially, what the terms are uh, would be 220,000 acre feet annually, good to the last drop, for four water conservancy districts along the Wasatch Front. Um, I think it's Cash, um, Weber, Jordan Valley, and Central Utah. No, no. Box Elder. Box Elder, maybe. Don't quote me on that. But um, but the point is, is that the the Bear River provides the lion's share of inflows to Great Salt Lake. I heard the state engineer the other day mention, on average, you know, with good years, the Bear would bring in one million acre feet annually to Great Salt Lake, by comparison with, say, the Weber-Ogden River, which was, I think, 411,000 feet annually. And then the Utah Lake Jordan River, which was more like 550,000 550, acre feet annually. So the bear is the lion's share of water to the lake. And if that is developed and sequestered in a reservoir 
and with infrastructure to transfer that water away from Great Salt Lake and the Bear, the Bear um, River and Bear River Bay, um, it goes elsewhere. And, and one of the you know, kind of compensative uh, remarks to that is, well, it will get there eventually. It just comes in from different parts of the shoreline. But there's so much about Bear River Bay. It's an important bird area. Um, the nature of uh, the water there is um, fairly fresh. Um, there are fish there that the pelicans, when the um, American white pelicans come to Great Salt Lake, and we have, we have had the third largest breeding population of American white pelicans in North America, and they would fish in Bear River Bay because of that, that, you know, that special condition where more fresh water happens to be coming in there. Um, so for all of the effort that we're talking about doing on behalf of the lake, bringing water into the system through partnerships and through funding and doing it annually, personally, um, Friends of Great Salt Lake and many others believe that if the Bear River project goes forward, then we've, we've just um, destroyed the whole multi-annual, multi-billion dollar effort that we've been putting in to bring water to Great Salt Lake. So it doesn't make sense. And it's been put off, fortunately, but you know that's kind of like, a well, we, we've been putting it off, and isn't it nice that we don't need it? But I really would hope that um, the legislature would revisit that and reevaluate um, the need and the aspect of, you know, well, mitigation will be um, a part of the conversation for Great Salt Lake. But I've also been around long enough to understand that mitigation at every turn um, can be compromised with something else that needs to just kind of tweak the mitigation that was um, attributed to a prior project. And I, I just, um, I, can't, I can't bet the ranch on that one. I would be more comfortable and be able to sleep at night if we revisited the Bear River Development Project and reevaluated its need. Dr. Noll, from your perspective, is it needed? We do have a lot of growth still. You still have to provide water. We have a lot of growth coming in Utah, so the idea of the Bear River Development Project um, is, is to provide water to the Wasatch Front. Like Lynn said, it would, the idea is that it would provide 220,000 acre feet of yield or firm yield. I would say that that's the most expensive way that we could provide water in this state. If we do things like conservation, water banking, um, change mineral extraction, do some regulation, all of that would be much, much cheaper like orders of magnitude cheaper. The price tag for these dams is in the billions. Um, other dams that have been on the table in California um, far exceed the price tags of the Bear River, the Bear River Dam. So my guess is that those, those prices could be a little bit low. Um, the estimates are that if we were to build um, these dams, and I say these dams because there's a number of alternatives. Some is one dam, some is many dams. So there's a, a number of iterations and alternatives. If we were to build dams on the Bear River, 
the projection is, is that Great Salt Lake would decline from about 8 inches to about 14 inches. Those numbers are a little bit outdated. They were developed when Great Salt Lake was higher, and Great Salt Lake is a bowl shape. So as you get, get at higher lake levels, you need more water, right, to raise or lower the lake. Um, so we'd probably, actually, the Great Salt Lake would decline a little bit more than, than those estimates would say. And we can't afford to do that. And Lynn, Lynn said it very nicely. When you know we're spending millions to try to save the lake, why would we counteract that by, by water development in the most expensive way? It just doesn't make sense. Uh, Speaker Wilson, I, I, is it realistic to go forward with this? And while there may be political will, there seems to be practical reality with a finite amount of water. Well, I think uh, Lynn and Dr. Knoll have done a great job of kind of sharing the history and the, all the elements related to this. And the, I wasn't around when that uh, uh, statute. Uh, yeah, I was. I was. I was like. I think I was in high school when that passed. But um, and I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So it's been around a long time. But um, you know, they're, they're right. It was envisioned because we believed that we needed to have water to grow. And, and so the, that, the principle behind that is still relevant. Like there, we've talked about that already. We wanna have water so we can grow, so our kids and grandkids can live around here. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to achieve that. And um, a lot of them have been discussed. And uh, cost is a relevant factor in terms of, of uh, how and, and what we do in terms of water development. And I think that's probably why, not probably, I know that's why you have not seen it built so far, is there's more economical ways to develop water, if you want to call it that, for people to use. And um, so, you know, I can't predict the future, but on the trajectory we're on, I'll tell you my personal belief, uh, we've got to save the patient first. And the patient's the Great Salt Lake. <laughs> so let's save the patient first. And once the patient's healthy, let's then talk about what comes next. Um, but uh, that's how I think things should be sequenced. So. You know, if, if I may, Ben, um, Great Salt Lake, um, the annual contribution that uh, from the values of that system the, uh, the lake contributes $1.32 billion annually to Utah's GDP, and that comes from mineral extraction, brine shrimp harvesting, recreation and tourism, and other values as well. Um, it, it generates um, a little over 7,000 jobs. So we have, we have an economic generator, which Obviously, we need to resuscitate um, so that it can, it can fulfill that expectation and that contribution that it has made. Um, but again, you know, it, it is inherently a valuable resource that belongs to all of us. Um, and um, it shows up in monetary worth, but also in a number of other additional values um, that are that are very meaningful. I want to switch gears and talk about uh, future things that are coming up, things to look forward to, things to, uh, that, are, that are being worked on. Um, uh, Dr. Knoll, I, was, you're doing some work right now on uh, conservation measures, some research on that, including this idea of a trading system. Can you please explain to everybody what that even is and how it works? 
Yeah, I've been, since the Water Banking Act passed in 2020, I have been, my, I, with some of my graduate students, have been really curious about the idea, this idea, thinking, well, how much water could we bring to Great Salt Lake if farmers were allowed to sell a portion of their water? So keep their water rights, but, but lease a portion of their water every year. And I was really, um, you know, curious about this. And so, so far, I've done some back of the envelope calculations. I did them pretty quickly, and I, and I estimated that if, we did water banking only in Cache Valley and only in wet years because I thought, you know, probably farmers aren't going to be selling much water, leasing much water in dry years. So thinking about kind of I would, what I would call wet year water management, that in the wet years we'd be trying to bring lots of water down to Great Salt Lake. People would be more amenable to selling some of their water. And in, just in Cache Valley, I think that had we been doing water banking for the last 30 years, the lake might be about a foot to two and a half feet higher than it is today. So that's not the full solution. It's also only you know, a fraction of the place. If we extended this to the whole Bear River and the Weber and the Jordan, um, probably those benefits would increase. Some people would choose to lease some water, some people wouldn't, and that's fine. That would be their decision. Only people who willingly wanted to lease some water could. But what this says to me is that it's promising. It's a promising idea to keep working towards. It's a promising idea to keep studying. Um, it's a promising idea to talk to farmers and say, hey, would you be open to this? Why or why not? Um, and probably this is a solution to do in addition to conservation and in addition to some other, some other strategies that we have. Lynn, uh, your group has been doing some work on tracking getting water into the lake and tracking the lake. So can you please tell us a little bit about that? I'm happy to. Um, let me see here. Okay. So um, one of the tools that we have available uh, that we can use as a reference uh, to help get us on our way to um, translating our commitment to bringing water to the system into, okay, what is it looking like? And how, how are we doing as far as accountability? So um, there is a tool that um, I've kind of thought about, okay, so what's a reference that we can all relate to? And we can all relate to when we were, we were done with our tricycles and we wanted to get on the two-wheeler and go forward. And at that time, we also realized that we needed training wheels to, to make that, you know, make that thing happen. And, and even though, you know, we were going forward with the training wheels, through time we could, we could change the balance of the training wheels. And eventually we were able to shed the training wheels and move forward. And so this is what I'm suggesting that we consider. And it looks like a stained glass window, but it is a tool called the Great Salt Lake Elevation Matrix that was developed um, for the 2013 uh, Great Salt Lake Comprehensive Management Plan by the Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands in the Department of Natural Resources. And the Division of Forestry, Fire, and State Lands, again, has that jurisdictional manager, management responsibility to manage the Great Salt Lake resources up to the meander line, which is a certain elevation. Along the top of the um, Great Salt Lake elevation matrix in the white area are all of these different ecosystem values, like 
islands, navigation, uh, various bird species, brine shrimp, um, salinity, and things like that. All of these different um, uh, access, different parts of the whole of the system and those related resources that state lands has to consider as part of its jurisdictional management responsibility. On the y-axis, the blue on the left side, um, there is a range of elevations from 4188 to 4213. We are currently down at 4188.8. So we're, at the, we're all practically off the chart. And um, the colors that you see um, are values or the, um, the viability, if you will, of these ecosystem values on the, the x-axis along the top and how they're doing. So green is good. And um, there are sweet spots of elevation where you see a lot of green. And then when you see a transition from green to yellow to orange, that means basically that the conditions are becoming more adverse for those values, those resources. So what I'm suggesting is, is as we have money, as we identify partnerships, as we um, identify the water that can come to the system, and we can account for that, we can be sure that it gets from point A to point B, point B being the lake, then we can see how we're doing over time. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but our goal would be, um, you know, to look at a range um, where, where green persists. Um, and on the, um, the elevation matrix, it's like 4195 to 4198. How many people in the room have heard of Dr. Kevin Perry? How many people in the room are aware of the fact that Dr. Kevin Perry has been studying the exposed lake bed? And he has been doing um, salt crust studies of what is the chemistry of the exposed lake bed that as it erodes, it creates dust and goes up into the air. And, and Dr. Perry in his work has said, you know, let's, let's shoot for bringing the lake up 10 feet, which would bring it up to this 41, you know, 98 value. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to cost money, but it should be an annual commitment that we know is going to be a part of doing business as usual. And we can see how we are doing, just like getting on the, the two-wheeler with the training wheels and moving forward making progress, and eventually taking those training wheels off and just zooming to the corner with permission from your mom, of course. But so that's, that's a tool that I'm suggesting would be something we should be talking more about. Uh, Speaker Wilson, I was covering your Great Salt Lake Summit last week, and um, you are coming up on a legislative session. So what more are you planning? What more are you, you and your colleagues planning in terms of legislation to benefit the lake? Uh, thanks, Ben. Um, just real quick, I just want to make a comment or two about um, what Lynn just shared. Um, this is more just interesting information, but not only um, have we kind of almost gone off the chart, but... We have two um, ways, two, two places on the lake right now to monitor its level. 
Um, one of them is out by Saltaire, and we just breached it, meaning we can't use that anymore because it's now dry. We only have one. We only have one location left on the lake to measure uh, its elevation. I think we may have to get another one for redundancy purposes, mm -hmm. but it's just kind of shocking that that's happening. Um, the other thing that's interesting, just so you know, is we're in the the state Department of Natural Resources in the is in the process of updating this because when you reset or when you get to this level. Um, you know, we don't know, quite frankly. We're going to have to reevaluate what all these different um, elements look like at different levels, including what they look like below where we're at now. Because you can see we don't have any line of sight uh, to that. So it's just a, it's a helpful tool. It's always good to know kind of what your target is and what the bogey is. And this shows us where those healthy ranges are, at least where they were in 2013. Uh, within the next a little bit, we'll know what those healthy ranges look like from where we're at. I don't suspect they're going to change much, right? Um, so there's going to be a lot of additional work on the lake. I've already talked about uh, some of it. You'll see more effort around agriculture optimization, at least I hope. Uh, as a speaker, I wish I could just wave a magic wand or swing my gavel and make things happen, but there's 103 other people that have an impact. Yeah, but you have a club. <laughs> I do have the biggest gavel probably in the country. Um, yeah, so, but uh, I, I do uh, think we're going to make some big investments that way. One thing that I'm excited about, uh, and it's in, it's in its infancy, in fact, uh, we just announced it at the Great Salt Lake Summit, and it may seem trivial, I, I don't think it is, uh, but let me just take you back 20 years. Um, and uh, when the state was dealing with uh, an air quality problem that was not only a problem, but was getting progressively worse. And the state um, stood up UCARE, uh, which is an organization that was charged with helping coordinate efforts around air quality across the state. And they did everything from giving out grants to doing public messaging and really helping everyone understand what they individually do to help impact our air quality. And while we've still got a ways to go, we've actually reversed that trend. Our air quality is not getting worse now. It's getting better slowly, uh, but it's getting better, in spite of the fact that this population in the valley has increased exponentially since then. Well, we need to do something similar with water. So we announced uh, legislation that um, I think maybe I'm running, someone's going to be running, maybe me, to create something called Utah Waterways, which will be a, pi a private, a public-private partnership. So we've got some organizations like Zions Bank and the Larry H. Miller Group and Intermountain Healthcare that are all coming together, putting money in this effort. We'll put state money effort or state money into it, and it will be kind of a copy and paste of UCARE. It will uh, administer grants. It will help coordinate water education across the state. It will have a public-facing uh, element so that individuals have a better understanding of exactly what their behaviors do to help solve or worsen our water problems across the state. And this isn't just focused on the Great Salt Lake. I mean, we've got water issues in Washington County. So we'll, we'll have this as a statewide effort. But, but it just helps us build upon something I mentioned earlier, which is um, having Utahns have clarity about what they can do and help them you know, do what they've done so great so far this year. So that's an, an additional element. I do think you will see measures around measurement um, and getting uh, more clarity and kind of getting more information about that. And then 
there's no corner on good ideas. I'm sure we'll have a lot of good ideas come up over the next few months as we get ready for the legislature to start up. We are coming uh, toward the end of our, our, our hour here, but we do want to throw it open uh, for questions. So if you have any questions, I know Heather has a microphone there, and um, I just uh, we'll start with you right there in the tie. <laughs> I really appreciate all that you've done. Uh, my name is Dennis Williams. I live in South Jordan. I made a proposal that was in the Desert News, which I think could be a tremendous solution. Simply stated, we bring water from Yellowstone Lake. Now, the, uh, there's a lake called Shoshone Lake, 25 miles from West Thumb. South of that is Lewis Lake, which is about 30 miles from West Thumb. There was flooding in Yellowstone Park last year. There's been flooding down in Missouri in years past. All this water's, western water's going back east. If a, if a, a pipeline was made between West Thumb and one of those two lakes, the water would flow downhill through Lewis River down to the Snake River flow all the way down to American Falls Reservoir and a pipeline from the American Falls Reservoir across Arban Valley could be a tremendous source for bringing up the water level in the Great Salt Lake. I'm a birder. I love birds. Uh, it's not just the Great Salt Lake. It's East Canyon, Echo Reservoir, Rockport, Jordanelle, Deer, uh, Deer Creek, Strawberry. The water problem is all over the place. This would bring water from out of the state, and I make that proposal. Any response? Anybody? Is a pipeline possible? Feasible? So, uh, just two quick comments. Um, there is going to have to be a regional perspective on our water issues in the state of Utah. We cannot solve it alone. Um, and there are efforts kind of underway to start to facilitate those conversations. Um, they're tricky, though. And I'll, <laughs> I don't know if I should share this or not. But last <laughs> night, the lieutenant governor of Idaho was in town. And I was a future lieutenant governor of Idaho. And I was with him. He's a good friend of mine. And I said, I said, Scott, we need some water out of the Snake River to solve our problems. And uh, I think he just about picked me up and threw me out of the room. I mean, <laughs> people, it, water is. I mean, water is important to people, and they don't give up their water. And uh, but I think there are ways to work through that, but it's going to take time. And those these creative ideas <laughs> of how all of our water systems in the region are interconnected or could easily be interconnected, you are a hundred percent right. And so, um, it, but you've got to have willing partners as part of the challenge. So, Dr. Noll. Yeah, I just have one more piece to add on that. And I, I back up that creative solutions are, are always welcome. And sometimes the people that have been thinking about water the longest, sometimes, you know, we, we get our blinders on and we don't always think outside the box very well. I will share, though, that in the Salton Sea in Southern California, which is another saline lake, and they had proposed a, a pipeline from the ocean to bring, to bring water to the Salton Sea. And it was just taken off the table in one, because the price was so high, and two, because they thought it would take so long to build it that they were gonna miss the window of opportunity. And so when I, when I hear solutions like pipelines, I especially 
pipelines that take multi-state um, compacts, that, that would be a big question in my mind. Could, would it, could it happen in time? And my guess is that it wouldn't. We need to, we need to do things that, right now. You had a question, I believe. Uh, yeah. Um, so oh, we got a microphone. Could someone bring it over? Well, we have some questions on the Zoom. Oh, yeah. I'll, get, I'll get to that. We'll, we'll go with you first, and then we'll go to the Zoom questions. Um, so I have a question about our legislators. Um, my question is, um, are our legislators, are our legislators willing to make some really tough decisions like perhaps moving from a voluntary conservation request of the public to something that maybe is more mandated and designated by our legislature, uh, and also the idea of granting the lake um, water, federal water protections for a, minimum, a minimal lake level, which I think are kind of the tough decisions to make. Sure, maybe I'll answer the second question first. So that's an issue that would obviously be taken up uh, not by the state legislature, but by our federal uh, delegation. Um, but I don't, uh, I, on both of your questions, anything's possible and may need to happen. Um, but I am cut from the cloth that says, give people good information um, ask them to do the right thing, and most of the time they do. Um, and so uh, I think that's the path we're on right now. But um, it's something you know that Lynn, Lynn pointed out, if all of these measures don't uh, save the patient and get us going in the right direction, you know, I think all options will have to be on the table. And so, but it's, it's a process and you've got to get consensus or at least enough support to do um, anything up there. And uh, I see lawmakers make hard decisions all the time or unpopular decisions all the time. They're not afraid of doing that, uh, but they have to be made for the right reasons. And I, don't, I, I will personally tell you, I don't, I don't favor going to that immediately until we give people an opportunity to do the right thing uh, on their own. And I, I have a really strong belief people will, so, but we'll see. You've been listening to a special rebroadcast of Can We Save the Great Salt Lake, a Great Salt Lake Collaborative Town Hall recorded earlier this month at the Day Riverside branch of the City Library. For more details about the Great Salt Lake Collaborative and KRCL's participation, check tonight's show notes. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community here on Radioactive on KRCL. Democracy Now! is next.